Well, good morning. We are so thankful to have you with us today, and we appreciate you joining us for uh, this very special service. We're looking forward to the 31st when we'll begin gathering here in the auditorium again. But until then, we're thankful to have this medium to be able to bring you the message from the Word of God. I'm reading today from Philippians chapter 1, seven verses, beginning in verse 12 to verse 18. And I invite you to follow along with me. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has been, become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice." Today we're going to re return to our study of the book of Philippians that we began before this pandemic began. And as we do so, we jump back into the book of Philippians here at verse 12 at a very crucial moment when the Apostle Paul is reporting back to the Christian church, the believing church in Philippi. And he's telling them about what he's experiencing in the city of Rome. They had sent Epaphroditus from Philippi to Rome to check on Paul. Probably Epaphroditus expected to get there in Rome and discover that the gospel that Paul had been preaching and the gospel that had been advancing in such significant ways had been stymied. It had been stopped. But instead of finding that, the Apostle Paul writes back to them this report, and he says the gospel isn't stymied. The gospel isn't stopped. Quite the contrary. The gospel is expanding, and the gospel is advancing. It's going to places and through people that you might never have expected, and yet the gospel continues to advance to men and women to change their hearts in their lives. And so what the Apostle Paul does here is he begins... He starts by talking about his circumstances, some of the things that he's experiencing. And when I say circumstances, I want to stop for a moment, and I want to explain to you what I mean by that word. I'm not talking about something that's happenstance. We're not talking about something that is a matter of chance. Everything that comes to the life of a believer comes through the loving hands of the Father who cares for his children. Everything that comes to us comes under the providence of a sovereign God who oversees all that takes place in our lives. He either allows things to come or he causes things to come, but nothing happens in our lives except they come through his hands to us. And so the Apostle Paul, as he begins to write back to the church at Philippi, and he begins to explain about his circumstances, he's talking about what God has done and what God is doing in his life and through his life. He's talking about some of the things that are going on that are really under the providence of God and how God has opened doors that you might never have imagined being open for the gospel to be able to go forth. 
And in talking about his circumstances and explaining to these Philippian believers about how the gospel is advancing, it's not stymied, it's advancing, he makes what I think are three very important insights for every one of us who are facing what we might think of as difficult circumstances. I think you would agree that these past weeks have been difficult circumstances. It's not a matter of happenstance. It's not a matter of chance. All of this has come through the loving hands of our Father. He is superintending everything that's going on. He has a purpose, and he has a plan in all of it. But in the midst of those circumstances, we can look at them either negatively or we can look at them positively. We can look at them the way the Apostle Paul saw them, as you're about to see, or we can see them as sometimes we see them when we get down and we get discouraged. And so let's talk about how the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 saw his circumstances. And we'll do this in three very simple statements. First of all, we want to notice that in his circumstances, he said it provided opportunities, not obstacles. The Apostle Paul saw that his circumstances provided opportunities, not obstacles. Now you say, wait a minute, where is Paul when he's writing the letter to the Philippians? He's in a Roman prison. He's in a Roman, uh, he's in a Roman jail. He is under arrest in the city of Rome. You say, how in the world could that then be opportunities that are provided rather than obstacles? Let's take just a moment, let's back up, and let's remind ourselves how Paul arrives in the city of Rome under arrest. Actually, when you look at this text, four times he mentions his chains. He mentions them in verse 7, in the middle of the verse, inasmuch as both in my chains. And then in verses 13 and 14, at the end of each of those verses, he says that my chains are in Christ, or have become confident by my chains. And then he mentions them a little later in verse 16 at the end of the verse to add affliction to my chains. So the very first thing you know about what Paul is experiencing at this moment is that he's in chains. He mentions it four times that he's in chains in the city of Rome. Why is he in chains? Well, you have to go back four years before this. And the apostle Paul had gone to the city of Jerusalem and Paul, who was a preacher of the gospel, nevertheless was hated by many of the Jewish people, and they turned on him, and they would have killed him, but he was taken under arrest, and he was put away for a period of time. Ultimately, they'll take him down to Caesarea. Caesarea is down by the Mediterranean Sea, and Paul will spend two years imprisoned in Caesarea. He will ultimately appeal his case to Caesar. And as a result of that appeal, he'll end up on a ship with a bunch of other prisoners headed toward Rome. And there's a very dramatic story in Acts chapter 27 about that ship and about the storm that arose while they were making that journey. They end up shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and he's there for three whole months. But then the journey will ultimately continue, and he arrives in Rome, and when he gets to Rome, he's placed again under arrest. He's put into a, a home. It's not really the jail or the prison as we would think of it. It's a place that Paul was able himself to rent. It's like being under house arrest, and he's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. You talk about difficult circumstances. 24 hours a day, he's chained to this Roman guard. 
Think about that. Every six hours, the guard was changed so that he saw at least four different men every single day. And this guard was not just any Roman guard. This was the Praetorium Guard. And these were like the secret, surface, uh, secret service of our day. This was like the elite troops of our day. These were some of the most elite of the men of the, of the country of Rome. There were some 9,000 of these praetorium guard. And here's the apostle Paul under house arrest, unable to leave that room, imprisoned there in that room, chained to a guard just feet away from him. And he's there 24-7 with a guard every single day. He was two years in Jerusalem. He'll be two more years in Rome. You say, how could you ever consider that not an obstacle how could you ever consider that to be something that was, in fact, as the Apostle Paul thinks of it, as an opportunity? Well, the reality is that the Apostle Paul says that by being under arrest and chained to this guard every six hours being changed, that what in essence has done is provided me an opportunity, has provided me a, a, a place for me, be, me to be able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you notice in verse 12, that he says that this is actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The word furtherance means to cut in front of. It was used by the military when they would send out the engineers ahead of the soldiers who would cut a path so that the soldiers could make their way to where they were going. And the apostle Paul says that my imprisonment, these four years that I've been in prison, these chains where I'm chained to a Roman soldier, a praetorium guard, 24-7. All of this has been for the furtherance. It's cut into, it's cut a path before. It's made it possible for the gospel to go where it would never have gone otherwise. Can you imagine? Paul's changed, chains and his imprisonment forged away, forged an opportunity where there had been no way before for the gospel to go. How would you ever get the gospel to the praetorium guard? How would you ever get the gospel into the palace of Caesar and amongst his own family? How would you ever get the gospel to a place like that? The only way it could have ever gotten there was that the apostle Paul was taken under arrest all of those years before in Jerusalem and brought to Rome and chained to a Roman guard. And now he has an opportunity not an obstacle. He has an opportunity to present the gospel to people that would have otherwise not been able to hear the gospel. Dr. Warren Wearsby, who you know is one of my favorite authors, writes it this way. He was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. The shifts changed every six hours, which meant Paul could witness to at least four men each day. Imagine yourself as one of those soldiers chained to a man who prayed without ceasing, who was constantly interviewing people about their spiritual condition, and who was repeatedly writing letters to Christians and churches throughout the empire. It was not long before some of these soldiers put their faith in Christ. Paul was able to get the gospel into the entire elite praetorium guard, something he could not have done had he been a free man. Imagine the circumstances to us, to Epaphroditus, to the Philippians, look to be dire. They look to be obstacles. 
And yet the Apostle Paul reporting back to this church says, these aren't obstacles, these are opportunities that God has given to me. In other words, you should think about Paul's chain. You realize that every chain has two ends to it. One end, Paul was, uh, the, the chain was connected to the Apostle Paul, but the other end of that chain was connected to Paul's mission field. And those praetorium guard became the mission field of the Apostle Paul. And he brought the gospel where it might not have otherwise been able to go because he was in prison and he was chained. It was a door of opportunity rather than an obstacle as Paul viewed his circumstances. I don't know what your circumstances are today, but you can view them as obstacles or you can view them as opportunities. You can see them as something that stymies the purpose of God for your life, or you can see them as something that present an opportunity you might never have had in your life. And the Apostle Paul comes to report back to these Philippian believers, and he says, look, you may have sent Epaphroditus expecting to, to hear a report that the gospel's been stymied and the gospel's been stopped, but the reality is the gospel is going forth and it's going in places that it might never have gone before, all because of my Roman imprisonment and all because I'm chained to a guard 24-7. God's providence was in Paul's imprisonment and in his chains in Rome. I'm reading an interesting book right now. It's called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. In it, he tells the stories of Christians who have suffered, Christians who have been through things you and I can't even begin to imagine, circumstances that are beyond any of us even being able to comprehend. But in this book that I'm reading, he tells the story of a man named Dimitri. He spent almost 17 years of his life in prison for his faith. Dimitri was moved because of his Christianity 600 miles away from his family, and he was locked in a prison cell that was so tiny that it took him one step to get to the door, one step to the sink that was on one wall and the commode that was on the other wall. That's how small his cell was. And in this prison, there were 1,500 hardened criminals. He said that his isolation from the body of Christ was more difficult than even the physical torture he endured. Stop and think about that for a moment. Have we missed, have we missed the body of Christ and the gathering together with the people of God during this time when the pandemic has kept us from being able to come to a central location where we can gather? He said that the isolation from the body of Christ was more difficult than even the physical torture that he endured. 17 years he was in these kinds of circumstances. Dimitri points out in this story that there were two disciplines that brought him strength and the only means by which he was able to survive those 17 years. Those two disciplines were taught to him by his father. One of, of them was that every morning he would get up at dawn he would stand up straight. He would hold his hands up high, and he would begin to sing a song, a Christian song that he, he knew well. He sang it every morning for 17 years. Now, you could imagine how that affected the other prisoners who were awake, awakened to listen to him sing. They weren't happy about it at all. They would laugh, and they would curse, and they would make noises, and they would jeer. Anything they could do to 
keep him from being able to sing that song where they had to listen to that song every single day. When he was taken out of his cell, these other prisoners who had learned to despise this, this Dimitri would throw food at him. Sometimes they would throw waste at him, and yet he was the shining light in the darkness of that prison. The other discipline he had was whenever he found a piece of paper, just a scrap of paper, he would take that piece of paper and a little stubby pencil that he had or a piece of coal, and he would write every verse that he could remember and every song that he knew on that little piece of paper. And then he would fold that piece of paper up, and in one part of his cell, there was a pillar that reached toward the ceiling, but it didn't go all the way. Water would drip across the top of that pillar, except during the winter when it froze. And it was just an icy slick coming down the side of that pillar. But on the top of that pillar, he would take that piece of paper where he had written those verses and where he had written those songs, and he would put them up on the very top of that pillar. And that was his way of offering to God a sacrifice when he had that piece of paper. Whenever the guards would come in, if they saw that piece of paper, they would take it down, they would read it, and then they would beat Dimitri severely, and they would threaten him with death, but he refused to stop those two disciplines. As a matter of fact, he credits those two disciplines for enabling him to survive 17 years of being imprisoned for his faith. He says that on one day, he found a special gift from God. He found an entire piece of paper, and laying next to it was a pencil. He took them quickly back to his cell, and he began writing. He filled every inch of that piece of paper with Bible verses and with every song that he could possibly recall. He says that he knew it was probably foolish, but he said, I just couldn't help myself. Both sides of that piece of paper filled up with scripture and songs that he knew. Then he took that piece of paper and he folded it up and he put it on top of that pillar where he had put those scraps of paper before as his offering to God. This was the best offering he could ever give to God, he felt, and he put it on top of that pillar. When they found that piece of paper, they decided that they were going to execute Dimitri. As they dragged him from his cell, they dragged him down the corridor through the center of that prison, and something strange happened on that particular day. Before they reached the door that was leading to the courtyard, and before stepping out to the place of execution, 1,500 criminals stood at attention by their beds, and they faced east, and they began to sing that song that Dimitri had sung every day every morning at dawn. Can you imagine? 1,500 criminals raised their arms and began to sing this song. Well, the jailers heard it, and they instantly let go of Dimitri. They backed away from him for a moment, and they said, Who are you? Who are you? Dimitri responded. He said, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. Do you understand the message of that story? These guards returned him to his cell, and sometime later, Dimitri was released, and he was allowed to go back to his family. But his circumstances, 17 years arrested for his faith, imprisoned with hardened criminals, recognized that this was an opportunity, not an obstacle. 
This was an opportunity to give glory to God so that others would hear and others would see. This was an opportunity to be a witness to people that would never have heard the message had Dimitri not been wrongly arrested and taken to that prison. You see, we can look at our circumstances and we can see them either as obstacles or we can see them as opportunities opportunities for the spread of the gospel, opportunities to talk to some people about Jesus we never would have met before, opportunities to go where we couldn't have gone before, opportunities. And the Apostle Paul, writing back to the Philippians, says, listen, listen, you may have thought that the gospel was stymied, that the gospel was stopped, because I've been under arrest two years in Caesarea and two years now in Rome. You may have thought that the advance of the gospel had been stopped. He says, not, not at all. Quite the contrary. These weren't obstacles. These were opportunities. As a matter of fact, did you know that the opportunities were so great that when you come to the end of the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, listen to what he says. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. How would Paul have ever gotten the message to Caesar's household had he not been chained to a praetorium guard, one of those that was a part of the secret service of the day, imprisoned by, by Rome, under house arrest, unable to leave or go anywhere else except to witness to one soldier after another soldier after another as they changed shifts and were chained to him for the next six hours. How would Paul have ever gotten the message of the gospel to those guards or into the Caesar's household had he, not, had he not been put in that position. See, the Apostle Paul looked at his circumstances, and rather than seeing obstacles, he saw opportunities. Secondly, when Paul considered his circumstances, he said that they proved liberating rather than limiting. They were opportunities, not obstacles. They were liberating, not limiting. You say, how can that be? How can it be that his circumstances were, were liberating? Well, he goes on here to say that because he's in prison, that other believers became even more bold to speak on behalf of Christ. Listen to how it says it in verse 14. Most of the brethren, he didn't say all the brethren. He says most of the brethren became confident and much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, what had happened in that Roman imprisonment was that the believers had seen the, the Apostle Paul and they had seen his courage and they had been encouraged to go in his stead and begin to proclaim the gospel with boldness and with confidence. Something like this happened earlier in the book of Acts. You find in Acts chapter 8 what took place, but let me give you the backstory. The Christians came for the feast day. I should say the Jews came for the feast days. They were there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended, and there were 3,000 people who were saved. A little later, there's 5,000. There's people being added to the church every single day. But the people loved being around where God was at work and where God was moving. But that was never God's intention. God's intention was for them to go back to their homes, go back to their cities, go back to their regions, and to take the gospel with them. But they wanted to stay there around Jerusalem. And so in Acts chapter 8, God says that persecution arose against these Christians. And the result was that they ended up being scattered 
And it says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. In other words, their circumstances, the chains of persecution, rather than limiting the advance of the gospel, liberated people to take the gospel where it needed to go. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Not only were my circumstances matters of opportunity, not matters of obstacles, My circumstances are a matter of liberating people to go where I cannot go rather than limiting people and keeping them silent about the gospel. There's something that you ought to notice as you look through this particular text that we've read. Not everybody preached the gospel with the same motivation. You know, there are no such things as perfect churches. If there is a perfect church, you or I don't want to join it because then it won't be perfect anymore. As long as there are people, there are always problems in churches. Churches can be a mess because people's lives are a mess. And here's an example of problems. You look through the New Testament, every church had its problems. Every church had its messes that it had to deal with. And here was a church that had a problem. Some of these who were liberated to go preach confidently and boldly the gospel did it with good motivation because they loved Paul and they wanted to take the gospel in Paul's behalf and on behalf of Jesus to those who needed to hear it. But others, it says, took the gospel with envy and strife and selfish ambition. It says, not sincerely adding affliction to my chains. We don't know exactly how they went about this. Maybe they just talked about the Apostle Paul and his imprisonment, and they just rejoiced in the fact that he was in prison. They were jealous of him. They were envious of him, the success he had had, the authority that God had given to him, the power that he enjoyed with the Lord. And this was their opportunity to turn the attention away from Paul and put the attention on themselves. But there were some who took the gospel, and they began to share it and to spread it And they did so with the right motivation. And there were others who began to share the gospel. And they did so with the wrong motivation. But now hear me. The Apostle Paul rejoiced in the fact that the gospel was going forth. He didn't rejoice in the motivations that were wrong. He rejoiced in the fact that the gospel itself was going forth in spite of the motivations that were wrong. In other words, the gospel was liberated It was liberated to be taken by people other than the Apostle Paul. It wasn't limited in Paul's imprisonment. Paul's change had caused the gospel to be liberated through the lives of many other people so that they spoke confidently and boldly. You know that courage begets courage. You know that enthusiasm begets enthusiasm. Excitement begets excitement. In the Apostle Paul's courage beget courage in the hearts and the lives of others to go do the spreading of the gospel like the Apostle Paul had done the spreading of the gospel. Rather than limiting the advance of the gospel, it had liberated the expanse of the gospel because now it was going through many different people into many different places where Paul himself alone couldn't possibly have taken it. D.A. Carson is a New Testament scholar. He's a contemporary of our day. In writing about this, he says, older readers of these pages will remember the five Wheaton College graduates in the 1950s who lost their lives in an attempt to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians. 
Among the excellent unforeseen results was the very high number of Wheaton graduates who year after year for the next decade or two offered themselves for missionary service. Because of the death of the Alka Five, many were encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fear, fearlessly. And can I just suggest to you, if you're an Amazon Prime member, when we finish this message today, there's the movie of this story. It doesn't get into some of the deeper parts of the spiritual aspect, but you'll get an overview of what took place with these five missionaries whose courage inspired the courage of others to go out into the cause of missions. Why? Because Paul's circumstances weren't limiting. They were liberating. Paul's courage inspired courage in other people. And now they're speaking boldly and confidently the gospel where they might not have been doing so previously or they might not have done so had Paul not been imprisoned in Rome and not been chained to a guard. His enthusiasm for the gospel spread over into others, and they became enthusiastic about the gospel, and the gospel began to spread in ways that it had never spread before and spread to people where it might not have gone before had it been the apostle Paul only. The apostle looks at the circumstances in which he finds himself under arrest, under house arrest, chained to a soldier, and he says, these aren't obstacles. These are opportunities. This doesn't limit the gospel. This has liberated the gospel. But then he says, thirdly, that his circumstances produced rejoicing, not regrets. You notice verse 18, he says, in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. You hear what he says? In this I rejoice right now. I look at my circumstances, and I see how it's liberated others to go share the gospel. I see the opportunities that's been, that have been given to me to take the gospel where I could never have taken it before. And even though there are some that are out there that are preaching with the wrong motivation, they're still preaching the one true gospel. And in that, I rejoice. But then he adds to it. He looks to the future, and he says, and I will keep on rejoicing. In other words, the Apostle Paul became a man who was filled with rejoicing rather than regret. Yes, he couldn't go to some of those places that others were going. Yes, he would have preferred, I'm sure, in some ways, to have been freed from that Roman imprisonment and taken, uh, have the chains taken away from him so that he could move about freely. But the Apostle Paul chose to look at his circumstances and rejoice in them because they furthered, they advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than have regrets about having taken the gospel himself and finding himself under arrest. There's an interesting story that comes from the American Bible Society. It's about a man named Emmanuel Lee. The year is 2006. He returned home to his West African home and the police were waiting for him there in the village. There had been a death, and he was one of the suspects on the list. He was taken down to the police station. He was questioned all night long, and then they kept him and didn't let him go. Hours turned into days, and days dragged into weeks, and Lee remained at the, pr the police station, then was transferred to the prison, the main prison in the capital city of Togo in West Africa. He remained there for five years and four days. Mind you, an innocent man. 
He was there five years in four days. He says that that prison was a perilous place. It was built to house 500 inmates, but the prison was packed with approximately 1,800 inmates. They, they slept in one open-air yard, all cramped into that one open-air yard. And he said many of the prisoners never were able to finish out their service, finish out their sentence, I should say, in that prison because the infectious disease was rampant. And many of them died before they ever got out. Lee spent half a decade of his life living in this prison. He says he was always hungry, always scared, always wondering how he, an innocent man, had landed in this place. These are his words. Life in prison is so difficult that it's hard to understand for outsiders. People get raped, beaten up. Money and possessions get stolen. There's a lot of violence and pressure. Well, the Bible Society of Togo would come to this prison and they would bring food to these inmates, but they would bring something else that was even more important. They brought to each of these, sold to each of these uh, prisoners a copy of the Bible for themselves. And Lee saw this as a source of life and a source of hope. It inspired him daily to reach out to his fellow inmates and to spread the word of God through preaching and living out the message of the gospel. Lee began to, to, to thank God that God had placed him there, that God had put him in that place to minister to these fellow inmates. This is what he said. I believe in God's power and God's spirit, so I continued my work because I'm not ruled by man. He thanked God for his circumstances. He rejoiced in his circumstances because it presented opportunities that provided the liberty for the gospel to go forward. And he began to thank God that those opportunities were presented to him. He was finally released. And ultimately, he would end up going back to that prison. This time, he would go back as a minister of the gospel to minister to the prisoners who were held in that prison. They said about him that he was a breath or a picture of God's hope. He became a picture to those soldiers of God's hope. In other words, in the midst of Lee's imprisonment, wrongful imprisonment, he found joy in the worst possible circumstances. But he was only able to do that when he saw his mission, when he saw the reality of what God had placed him there to accomplish, when he understood that I am here for a purpose, there is something that God has for me to do. And that is to take the gospel and the gospel message and the love of Jesus and the teachings of the scripture to those that are on the other end of the chain. They're my mission field. And Lee found his purpose in life and was able to endure those circumstances because he understood the purpose of those circumstances. One author put it this way, Paul's example is impressive and clear. But the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations, put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations, our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and splendor of the gospel. Do you see what we're saying today? I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what you're going through at this moment. I don't know exactly how you feel. I know that all of us find ourselves chained to this pandemic. 
And we're wondering, what is the purpose of this? And God comes to us through the Apostle Paul and says he wants to give us opportunities, not greater obstacles. He wants to liberate the message of the gospel, not to limit it. He wants us to rejoice in these circumstances because we recognize that our purpose in life is getting the message of Jesus to others. We're still on mission, church. The mission of God didn't stop nine weeks, ten weeks ago when the pandemic began. The reality is we are just as much on mission today, and we may be chained to some circumstances with which we're not real happy a lot of the time, but the fact of the matter is on the other end of that chain is our mission field, and God is calling us to use our circumstances as a means of carrying the gospel to places and to people that might not have received it otherwise. You and I can thank God today for our circumstances if we know the true purpose of them. I mean, the reality is this. You can endure almost anything if you know the purpose for which you're enduring it. And the purpose for which we're enduring various circumstances in our lives isn't for us to just be quiet to go away in a corner and to be silent about our faith is for us to step forward and to speak out and to say, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Savior. Open your heart to Jesus Christ. Can I stop for a moment? Can I ask you a question? Maybe you find yourself rather discouraged and despondent at this moment. You're wondering, what what could possibly ever good come out of this? The fact that you're watching this service today could be the good that comes out of it. That today, because we're not able to meet in this auditorium, but we have to come to people through this live stream, through the television, by by means of the television broadcast, the good that can come out of it is that you hear today that Jesus loves you and that Jesus died to pay the penalty of your sins, and that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again, and that Jesus saves all who come to him. And all you have to do is be willing to open your heart. I mean, we're chained. I'm chained to an empty auditorium. But on the other end of that chain is my mission field. And I thank God for the opportunities that he's given I believe it's liberated the gospel to go places that it might not have gone otherwise. Rather than being obstacles, it's become opportunities that have been presented to us. And the same is true for you. The same is true for your circumstances. I was talking with one of our ladies this past week about some of the things that she's enduring for these last several months, physical difficulties and pain that she's been enduring for these last several months and not able to get the help that she needs. She says sometimes the pain is so bad that she just has to quote a a verse of Scripture, her favorite verse of Scripture over and over. Sometimes she just sings songs, Christian songs, in the midst of the pain when it becomes so severe. She got a chance to talk to her doctor or at least to the nurse practitioner with her doctor got to meet with that nurse practitioner. And in that meeting, she started telling her about how the Lord was at work in her life and how the Lord had been helping her. And I couldn't help but think of this message. On this end of the chain, 
She's feeling all of the pain of the physical maladies that she's having to deal with right now. But on the other end of that chain, she recognized there was a mission field, and she was talking about her Savior and telling others about Jesus, and God was using her circumstances for a greater purpose, for an opportunity to liberate the gospel that it could go where it might not go otherwise so that she could rejoice that even in her difficulties, there was a purpose that was being fulfilled. Dear Christian friend, please listen. Let's use these opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. 